What a joy it is to be here with you today. And students, what a great crowd. I'm, I tell you, I'm, a, I'm impressed. You've had a great weekend, and uh, you have, uh, I know, heard a lot of wonderful stories and scripture, and you've prayed a lot and been together a lot. And it is just a joy for me to have the privilege of putting the capstone on. That is to say, to share a message on finishing empty. When uh, Neil shared this with me back some time ago, I began processing this. I know that you have been uh, listening to uh, Jason Curry, whose theme is Finish Empty in his ministry, and he has shared with you a lot of God's Word, and I am confident of this, that the Holy Spirit has moved in the lives of some of you, and if you have given your life to Christ during this weekend, I hope that you will take the next step, which is to publicly declare that Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me. I won't be ashamed of you. So you need to make public that decision. But uh, today we're going to talk about not just, you, you've talked about being rescued. You've talked about being certain about your foundation. But now we're talking about, okay, how, how do we go and where do we go from here? And the, the call is for us to give our all. Just as it says here, uh, your all, give every day, all you got every day. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about as we talk about finish empty here this morning. And uh, the Lord led me to a scripture found in the book of 2 Timothy. And I invite you, we'll have it on the screen, but if you have your Bible, uh, I want to open to that, then you can follow along, make notes. I hope we say something that's going to be worthwhile here. We, what we're going to do is we're going to examine God's Word and let God's Word speak to us here this morning. As we look at the scripture here, Paul is coming to the end of his life. He has only a, a, a short time to go. And so facing the fact that he is going to be exiting, he is communicating to his young protege, Timothy, and he's saying, I'm finishing empty, and now I want you to be able to finish empty. And so as we look at this passage here, he tells him about his own experience, but then he also challenges Timothy to finish empty as well. And so look with me, the, the, the scripture, chapter 4, 1 through 8 is what we're looking at, and there, there are basically three different sections in this passage. The first thing that I see here in verse 1 is that there is a charge that he gives to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead by his appearing and his kingdom. And so he starts out by saying, now, Timothy, here's the situation. What we're about to talk about is serious. How serious? Well, it's serious enough that God himself and J Jesus Christ is watching over. He is listening in. He is a part of what I'm about to tell you. And ultimately, you're going to be held accountable by him. There could not be a more weighty approach than what Paul takes here. By the presence of God Almighty. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God? Did you know God's in this place? He's right here right now. The Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is here right now. And he is the one that you need to listen to as he speaks to you today. And I'm simply saying to you what Paul told Timothy. You need to pay close attention and then you need to be fully obedient to what God is telling you. Now why? Because you're in the presence of God and Jesus. But not only that, notice the next thing he said. Who is to judge, talking about Jesus Christ, to judge the living and the dead. Now, here's, you know, we think about Jesus 
and, uh, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know, right? We talk about Jesus being loved. We, talk, we have the picture of Jesus with a little lamb. But Paul is presenting a different picture. If you read the Revelation chapter 1, when he turns around and looks at Jesus, it's a whole different picture. What I'm, he's planning here is one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ, who is the judge. And Jesus himself says, the Father does not judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the one before whom we stand and before whom we give an account of the way that we have lived our life. And so he's saying, Timothy, you need to understand what I'm sharing with you, one day you'll be held accountable for it. Not only that, he says, at his appearing and at his kingdom. What he's pointing out is something that we need to think more about, and that is we're not always going to be here, and this world is not always going to be here like it is. His appearing has reference to what we call the second coming. Jesus is going to come back, and when he comes back, things are going to change mightily. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 11, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, Paul is saying, one day you're going to face Jesus, the judge, the one who has saved you and redeemed you, and he's going to say, okay, how did you run the race? What do you do with your life? What do you do with all the opportunities that I gave you? And we'll have to give an account of ourselves. Here's what I want us to understand. How you live now and what you do now is going to affect and impact eternity. We are so accustomed to living for the moment and for the day that we fail to realize life is just a little bit and then there's eternity and we need to live for the big picture and that is for the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, I want to charge you. And then Paul gives us the basis on which he can challenge Timothy to do what he's talking about. He makes a confession. The confession is down in verses 6 and 7 and 8. What he says here in verse 6, for I'm already being offered, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. Now, most of the time when we read those verses or you hear those verses, it's at a funeral. And we're reflecting upon someone's life and we're saying that they have lived a life of faithfulness. Well, Paul is coming to the end of his life. He's declaring certain things, but he is also challenging Timothy. He says, if you will do what I am giving you to do, challenging you to do, then you too can finish empty. Now, he doesn't use the words finish empty, but, but what he says is, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now, you may need a little background. In the Jewish Old Testament, they had sacrifices. They had animals that they sacrificed. Now, in addition to sacrificing the animal, they would have a grain offering that went alongside that, and they would have a drink offering that went alongside that. And so, Paul is saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, to leave, I'm, 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 or I'm being poured out as a drink offering. In the book of Philippians, Paul spoke to them and said it this way in verse 17. 
But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. Now, what he's saying is, your life and your faith are the sacrifice, but I'm pouring my life on top of that as a drink offering, and I'm glad to do it. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm finishing all I got. It's kind of like this bottle right here with this Gatorade. You'll notice that it, uh, it's not completely empty. There's still some left in it, although there's a lot that's gone out of it. So Paul is saying, I have been being poured out, and now I am about to be poured out as a drink offering, and when I am poured out, then it's all gone. It's empty. Everything I have, I have given to Christ as a sacrifice of my life. And that's the image. And he's saying to Timothy, I'm telling you this because I've experienced this. I've done it. Not only that, he says, my departure is at hand. And the picture is a nautical and also a military picture. It is of a a ship that's been at dock and throwing off the line so that it can sail away. It's the picture of a tent being, the tent pegs being pulled up by a military person so he can move on. It's the picture of a ship weighing anchor and then sailing off. And Paul is saying, my departure, I'm at the place where I'm about to leave, but I'm leaving you and I want you to finish the way I have. Finish empty. Paul is talking about the fact that his departure. This is not the only place that he says this. In the book of Philippians again, verse 23 of chapter 1. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Two things here. Number one is the word depart is the same word. It's a verb where we have the noun in, in 2 Timothy. But Paul is saying to depart is very much better. He's saying I've come to the end. I am empty. I've given it all. And now I'm passing the baton on to you, and I want you to do the same thing. Look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. He uses several illustrations to, to demonstrate his faithfulness. I fought the good fight. Now, Paul knew something about fighting. He knew something. The, the picture here is of a warrior. And Paul had engaged in combat. What he says in Ephesians chapter 6 is this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil... You do realize that the devil is still scheming. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against other people, but against the rulers, against the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Do you get the picture? When you're talking about walking with Jesus, you're talking about living a life for Christ. We're not talking about just living and getting along with other people. What we're talking about is there's somebody who's trying to keep you from doing that. It's kind of like the football team. The offense has an offense, but there's a defense over there that's trying to keep the offense from doing anything. And I want to tell you, the enemy is a formidable defense. And so what Paul says is, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. And so he's saying, you, you got to have help. Put on the full armor of God. 
Now, if you read Ephesians 6, you'll, you'll see how he delineates that, that armor. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul is fully clothed in the armor. He's wearing every piece of that armor. He's had to because he's had to face those contentious people who have tried to undermine his, go his gospel. He has faced those Judaizers who are trying to get people to go back into the way they used to be. He's faced the political opposition from the Romans who eventually are going to decapitate him, according to tradition. And Paul is in warfare, and he's saying to you and me, you need to understand, living the Christian life is not easy. You've got to fight the fight. The second thing he says is, I finished the course. Now, this is an athletic image. It is of running a race. And, and, and Paul is saying, I've, I've finished the, ra the race course. But Paul is talking about something greater than simply running a race with your feet. He's talking about run the race of life. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And race here is talking about the Christian life. And it's interesting that the word that's used in the original language is agon, from which we get our word agony. That's the reason he's saying you need to run with endurance. It is not easy. Your spiritual life is never going to get easier than it is right now. There's always going to be opposition. You're always going to have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to supply your need. And what he's saying is, we need to run this race. Paul's saying, I have run the race. I've finished the course. In other words, I've completed what God has given me to do. And consequently, I am ready to be offered up now. And so what he's saying is that we need to run. And an image that I had when I was in running track, the coach would tell us this, run all the way through the what? The tape. You got to run all the way. See, a lot of people run, but they last slack up before they run through the tape. And consequently, the person who has given it all runs past them right at the tape. So the whole point here is you need to run all the way through the tape. Now, that applies to you, but it also applies to those in this room, some seniors. You got to run all the way. You don't get to a point where you stop running. Paul says, I finished the course. So the question is, how well are you running? Are you finishing the course? Are you fulfilling what God has given you to do? The third image that we find here, though, is the image of guarding a deposit. He says, I have kept the faith. And he's referring to the integrity of the gospel message that has been given to him. If you read Galatians, you'll find that Paul says, I didn't get this message from other human beings. I got it directly from God. And so what he's saying is I have had to battle to maintain the integrity of it, but I have guarded it and I have kept it, and now he's passing it on to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly chatter, worldly and empty chatter, and the opposing arguments which is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Now, here's what I, I'm seeing out of that. There are a lot of people 
going to tell you a lot of stuff. Listen to what they have to say, but do not accept it at face value. It needs to be vetted. How do you vet it? By the Word of God. What you need to understand, Paul is saying, that don't fall to this worldly and empty chatter or that which it supposes to be knowledge. It is empty. What you need to do is build your life on the faith, the Word of God, and that's what Paul is saying right here. And so Paul is in a position where he can say to Timothy, hey, look, man, I want you to finish empty. I want you to give it your all. I want you to go all the way. All you got every day. Why? Because he has done it. That's what he's telling him. And so then he comes to the challenge in verses 2 through 5. Look at what he says here. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so basically what he's saying here is this is what you need to do. Pay attention here. First thing that you need to do, all of us preach the word. The focus is on the word. The critical issue here is our attendance to the word. It's not what the church teaches. It's not what mom and daddy said. It's not a lot of things. It's the Word. Get into the Word of God and let it guide and direct your heart and life. The Word guides us and the life of every true believer. Any discipleship must start and end with the Word of God. Paul advised Timothy in, earlier in 2 Timothy in chapter 2, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, look at this, handling accurately the word of truth. And so what he's saying is, if we're going to grow, if you, if you're, if you want to grow in your spiritual life, you want to become a mature individual in Christ, then you're going to have to get into the word. You're going to have to read the word. You're going to have to memorize the word. You're going to have to immerse yourself in the word of God. And when you do, then you will be able to walk in it, and it will flow through you. You want to help other people? Then the best thing that you can do is let the Word of God flow through you and to touch their lives. There's a power. I don't understand it, but I believe it with all my heart because it's affected me. There's a power in the Word of God to change human lives. And so he says, magnify the Word. He says, preach, but we get confused. <laughs> it's not what I'm doing. When he talks about preach, it's the picture of a uh, royal herald who stands with trumpet, blows the horn, and announces whatever it is that the emperor has given him to announce. And so it's basically just declaring. You and I are to be declaring the word of God on a consistent and constant basis. We are to We've been given that assignment. I had somebody ask me one time uh, in, a, in a session, who gave you the authority to do what you do? And I told them, Jesus. 
He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He got all authority, and he gave it to me and to you and everyone who is a follower of his. We have the authority. Now, what I'm here to tell you is you need to uh, uh, accept that authority. You need to practice that authority. And when you step into the Word of God doing what I'm talking about, you can have confidence. The fact of the matter is there are those who are not going to accept what you have to say. There are those that will want to argue and say a lot of other things. But here's the, the, the bottom line. It really doesn't make any difference what anybody else says. As long as you're obeying God, God will hold them accountable, and he ultimately will vindicate you and give you what you need as well. And so Paul then uses several modifiers here. When he says in this passage, he says, you got to do it when you feel like it when you don't, in season, out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now, what that means is reproving is that sometimes it means we correct one another. Rebuke means sometimes we hold folks accountable and confront them with whatever's in their life. Exhort means that we come alongside to lift up and help people. Now, as students, one of the things you've done this weekend is you have been in groups and you have helped each other to understand better what it means to live for Christ. That needs to continue. When you go back to the class, when you go back to school, wherever, you need to continue to do. And when you see someone that you care about and they're making a bad choice, you need to come alongside them. It may mean reproof, correct them. It may be rebuking them. It may be, it certainly is going to mean exhorting them. And so that's what I'm sharing with you. If you're going to finish empty, then you're going to have to do what God has called you to do. And that's what he's telling us we need to do right here. And so as we minister to each other, we have this responsibility. You know, one of the things I've learned is you cannot make disciples without investing in other people's lives. Making disciples is not about teaching a class. It's about coming alongside someone and investing in their life, taking ownership in a, in a sort in their life and, and, and letting them know that you care about them. And to do that, you've got to do some of these things. It's not easy. And, 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 and people don't always understand. I'm just appealing to you, be willing to be hurt in order to help somebody. You got to. That's what God has called us to, just like he called Timothy to. Notice here that Timothy was warned that some of these people weren't going to appreciate it. That is to say, they're going to, they're going to heap to themselves people that tell them what they wanted to hear. That's what, that's what you find in verse 3 and 4. This tickling of the ears. Basically what that is, that a lot of times people just want someone to affirm them. You, you are, you're doing fine. Now, there's a place where we need to affirm. But there is a place where we need to say, hey, I love you. And I just want to tell you, what you're doing is not good. You're, you're going to hurt yourself. Or you're going to hurt the person that you're dealing with. And you need to be honest enough to tell them that. And that's what Paul is saying right here. Notice, if you will, that uh, he, in this last, in verse 5, he gives four more imperatives. Basically, what he says is, be sober-minded. He ain't talking about drinking. He's talking about being alert. He's talking about exercising self-control. You know what? Self-control is something that we don't have the ability to do by ourselves. Look at Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the last one that's mentioned is self-control. As you walk in the Spirit, you will not yield to 
the desires of the flesh, the temptations of those around you, because there are always going to be some people that are saying to you, oh, come on, ain't nothing wrong with this. You know everybody else is doing it. I'm telling you, that's what he's saying. Be sober-minded. Don't be carried away by that kind of conversation and those kinds of things. He says, endure hardships. It is not easy. It's going to be hard. In fact, just a few verses earlier, chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, he's not talking about somebody taking you down to the jail and beating you. He's talking about somebody turning their back on you and say, hey, don't have anything to do with him or her. They're good at two shoes, you know. Persecution comes in all kinds of ways. People can say bad things about you. They can do things to you. I'm just telling you, when you began to live us out, you can expect there to be a reaction from others who are convicted by your lifestyle. And not only that, but he says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy wasn't an evangelist. There's a calling in the Bible, people who are called to be evangelists. He doesn't have that calling. And I don't know whether you do or not, but I can tell you this. He said, do the work of an evangelist which means every one of us have the responsibility of sharing the gospel with everyone we can. That's what evangelism is, telling the good news. Euangelion is good news. Tell the good news. And there are people who desperately need to understand God loves them, and he is willing to forgive them, as we've sung in our songs this morning. And we are free, and you don't have to live in bondage and under the tyranny of sin. They need to hear that, and that's your job and my job doing the work of an evangelist. And finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. That means we're to carry out our assignment fully and completely. He's saying to Timothy, all you got every day. Leave it all on the field. I mean, do your dead level best. Give all you have to give. Fulfill your ministry. And that ministry is what we're talking about in living the life for Christ. Not easy, but it's essential. And we are to live a life fully devoted to Christ and to honor and glorify him to finish empty.